Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Okay, welcome to episode number five of the Graveyard Duck Podcast. This week we are talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES, uh, developed by Konami, published in Japan by Konami as well, and in the U.S. by Ultra Games, uh, released for the Famicom and the NES in 89, and in Europe in 1990. Uh, so this one's been around for a pretty uh, well, decent chunk of the life of the NES, but um, oh yeah, yeah. Kick, kick it off right away. What are your early memories of it? I can remember this being like a really big title. Obviously, uh, this is you know right when the boom started happening, not only on the NES but uh, with Ninja Turtles in general. And I can remember reading it in Nintendo Power and kind of seeing the previews and stuff like that, and uh, you know really being interested in checking out the game. I rented it um, several times. I don't think I ever owned it until much later when I started collecting, but um, I have played it quite a bit throughout the years. Um, I've only ever beaten it once. And that was with a game genie. So um, it's a game that I keep coming back to because it's incredibly challenging. But um, I don't think it's nearly as uh, frustrating as this. Well, okay, it is frustrating. I don't think it. I don't think it deserves the bad rap that it tends to get. Oh yeah, I, I don't think it deserves a bad rap at all. Um, but we'll get to my opinions in a bit. Oh, yeah. But uh, so no, really huge memories or childhood nostalgia from this one. Uh, yeah, I would say a lot of it's fueled by nostalgia. Um, you know, certainly as far as just playing the game, um, obviously, you know, the, the swimming level is one that either people love or hate. I never really had much of an issue with it, but um, I don't know. It's just, it's a game that is, yeah, I will say it is fueled by nostalgia and I do love it for that, I suppose, even if it has its faults. Uh, so this one was for me one of those games where like, I think every friend I had who had a Nintendo had this game. Uh-huh. Um, but it was quite a few years later before, before I ever picked one up. Um, and I think my cartridge actually came from a, you know, trade between two friends and then it just never traded back or something. But um, yeah, it's one that like, I played at a lot of friends houses and I remember just always thinking like, what the hell is this weird turtle game? Like, Mm-hmm. I know the Ninja Turtles. Like I have all the action figures and watch the cartoon, and it's like this is not the Turtles. This is weird. Like right. the um, if you follow us on Twitter and Facebook, you saw an article I posted today, kind of explaining that. But um, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, on the cover, like they all had red bandanas, and then like within the game, there's all these weird monsters and things that aren't in the cartoon, and it it just felt very bizarre mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no concept of what the comic book or, you know, Mirage or any of the origins of the turtles, uh, which I'm sure most kids that were playing this game had no concept of the origin of the turtles either. Sure, um, sure. But like, and then I also remember that it wasn't too long after this, that turtles Two, the arcade game came out, uh, which felt much more like the cartoon that I knew. And so like mm-hmm. they were like, both games were very, very different. Uh, but I can't say that I had one that was necessarily my favorite. Uh, this one always felt like a weird black sheep just because it was so different, but there was always something about it that was just incredibly fun to me. And mm-hmm. I, I was never able to put my finger on what the charm of this game was, but it's one that I kept coming back to over and over and over again. And I just, I just love it, even though it's so bizarre um, mm-hmm. and dif- different from what you would expect. Um Unlike you, I never did beat this. In fact, it's one game that I've put on my list of you know two or three games that are just taunting me from childhood that I've tried and tried and tried to beat and just never could um, until two days ago. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why I chose this episode or this game for an episode is because I'm like you know, damn it, this game's finally gonna get beaten. <laughs> so my hat's I made it my goal. Me. It took a uh, hell of a lot of work and 
I, I lost count, but I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 or 25 different playthrough attempts before I finally got through stage six. But um, mm-hmm. I can now say I've done it. But, but let me ask you this. And did you have a, a pretty good sense of satisfaction when you finally cleared the game? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. See, I think I think that's what makes this completely worth it, because it's even though it's incredibly difficult as you play through the game, the the more you play the better you get at it, the better you get at anticipating things. And then you get to the last level and everything that you thought you know is, you know, completely wrong because the last level is incredibly tough. So you have to repeat that almost over and over. And there's like a Zen-like focus almost that's required of this game. But, uh, you know, when you do, when everything does click, I think it's incredibly satisfying to beat. Right. And it's the kind of game that I just thrive on. And I love these types of games. And I remember talking about this during, you know, Ghouls and Ghosts, where it's very, very difficult. It requires, I I like that, your Zen-like concentration. Um, Uh But also just, if you're the kind of gamer that has that just insane level of patience, this game will be very rewarding. Because, you know, you're going to play it, and especially if you are new to it or haven't played it in a long time, you're probably going to die within... I I guess within the first two stages, um, but then Maybe. instead of yeah. yeah yeah there there's some tough spots in that water stage. I think that's a big hurdle yeah, for most people. If I not think that's stage the first, three, uh, the first hurdle, yeah, right. And the the difference is like there's going to be some people who get to that point, get frustrated, and they're like, man, I've, I only made it to level two and I'm already dead. Like I'm done. Versus mm-hmm. you know other players who are going to say, okay, I'm going to try again. And if you do that, you'll notice that the next time you get just a little bit farther exactly. and then you die next time you get just a little bit farther then a little bit farther faster too. Yep. And so you keep sure. doing it. You learn those tricks, you learn the little secrets, you learn the spots that you need to, Oh, don't jump yet. You got to, you know, do a half jump or, you know, make sure to attack when you jump. Cause the same guy comes out at you every time and hits you and knocks you back. Like you start learning the little patterns, you start learning what to watch for. And each time you, yeah, you, you chip a little bit more out of it and uh, eventually you will get it. And it's one of the most rewarding things ever. Cause like I said, that's 25 years of you know, frustration. Huh. Finally, I could say oh. I did it. We you know what's interesting too about this game. That's something that's always kind of fascinated me is that even if you kind of memorize the, the enemy patterns and the layouts, there's still a lot of randomness to the game as far as the sets of enemies that are generated mm-hmm. in different levels. Meaning it's not always the same. You're not always going to fight, you know, the foot soldiers and the balloons. Maybe you might fight, be fighting the uh, the fire guy and um, you know maybe the the birds or the the frogs. So there's right. a certain amount of adaptability that's required. I think as far as in a playthrough of this game, you have to be willing to um, accept that things might not be exactly how you think they're going to go. And so there's a certain level that you have to adjust on the fly uh, when you're playing to really succeed in the game. And I think that's something that it can be frustrating for a lot of players. But, um, you know, I think for, for people like you and I that really dig into these games and really play them, I think there's, you know, like I said, there's a certain amount of satisfaction when, you know, you can just breeze right through it and you know what to expect. It's either A or it's B. And then, um, you know, you end up getting past that section. And I think it's, it's all the more rewarding for that. Right. And I think that, you know, your comment about adjusting on the fly is, you know, perfect in this game because one of the earliest strategies that you need to figure out when you start playing is, you know, you've got four different turtles to select from Mm -hmm. and each one of them is very different. Um, They have different strengths, different weaknesses. And the only way that you're going to, you know, succeed in this game is to really get familiar with when to switch from one turtle to the next because it's not, you know, the case of, this is the best turtle, so you just play him the entire game until he dies, then you switch to your backup. Um, nor is it the kind of game where you could just pick your favorite and roll with it. Like, I, as I'm playing through this, I'm switching between turtles, you know, mm. constantly at different spots, even within the same screen, because they're just, they have different strengths, different weaknesses that you have to take advantage of, and you have to be able to recognize sure. when to use which one. Um, yeah, and, and part of that, I think, comes from the fact that you'll notice that with um, certain enemies that you attack, like they might die in one hit from Donatello, but if you play as Michelangelo or Raphael, 
you know, they might take two hits, which means they're probably going to hit you before you kill them, meaning they're right. going to do damage to you. So you have to figure out, okay, do I switch to another turtle? Do I jump over the enemy? Um, but one other thing that I've noticed in this game is it's not always consistent in the damage that it deals. Um, I've noticed just in the last few playthroughs that I've done over the last couple of days that you don't always, like certain enemies that require two hits, they don't always require two hits. Like you might be able to kill them in one hit with Michelangelo or Raphael. It's very weird. So I don't know if that's just right. a randomness to the game after switching turtles back and forth or um, if it's something that's pre-programmed in there. But um, you have to, again, the adaptability piece comes in too, where I think you have to be willing to know what your character's strengths and weaknesses are and how best to use those. Right. Yeah. From what I find, I think, you know, Donatello is the best and mostly just because his weapon is so powerful. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to do more damage for, you know, compared to anybody else. Uh, but it's got, well, and, and it also has the advantage of having a really long range. Um, but the, the downside to it is that it's, you know, a very linear straight shot. So, you know, enemies coming straight at you, well, unless they're at eye level, they could go right underneath of it. Uh, so it's it can be tricky to hit enemies because you don't have a really good arc with the weapon. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I find, like, if if there's certain enemies that I know are only going to take one hit to kill, switch to Leonardo because he's got, you know, still decent range, but a nice wide arc with that. And he can clear, you know, where there's the swarms of the, the bats or those other weird flying things. Uh, he mm -hmm. can take care of a lot of that stuff really quickly. But... Um, anything that takes more than one hit, yeah, you're better off switching back to, to Don. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of weird how that works because especially if there's smaller enemies on the ground, um, it might be more advantageous to use Leonardo because he has that arc. Um, you know, it just kind of depends. But Or if you're crouching, I've noticed, and you're using Donatello, even though he um, swings the bow downwards, there's a brief hitbox at the top of the arc as well. So it yes. just depends. So. Yeah, and he does the same thing behind him, too. If you are swinging straight ahead, yes. there's yes. just a little bit behind him that'll get hit. Um, Which can be with some of the bosses, too. Like, turn yeah. around, walk away from him, and still attack and hit him. Yeah, or if I if I get surprised by one and I'm, like, running like hell, it's like, okay, I might just swing in the opposite direction because I might still hit him on the backswing, but... Uh -huh. uh, yeah, unfortunately, Raphael and uh, Michelangelo got the short end of the stick in this one. Um, yes. My personal opinion, I don't find that they're very worthwhile in terms of attacks. No. Uh, just not enough power and not enough range. Um, so usually I switch to them when it comes to areas where I know that there's going to be really tricky jumps or mm -hmm. um, I, I just need to like get through the difficult spot, like switch to them. Okay, you're, you're going to be my cannon fodder, guys. But um, Right. Yeah, rarely do I use which is, two. Yeah, which is kind right. of sad. Unless if I'm getting like a special weapon of some sort, or maybe I've got scrolls with Leo and Donatello, and you know, like a throwing star or something pops up, I'll, I'll quick switch out and you know get one of the other two and just primarily use them for the uh, special weapons. Right. So, what do you think of this game in terms of you know the kind of uniqueness of it, the fact that it it wasn't you know traditional in terms of the turtle lore or whatever like did that ever bother you as a kid or did you think that was cool or were you not a turtle fan to begin with no i was i was a turtle fan i didn't um like i said i didn't own this game i i bought part two when it came out um but i played this one you know quite a bit through rentals and i enjoyed it i yeah at first i guess it was like okay this is kind of weird you know i don't really recognize like the frog guy and whoever else but you know it had mousers and it had foot soldiers it had you know pretty much all the other characters so that didn't really bother me. Um, what bothered me, I guess, at the time was the difficulty of it. But I think that that's something that, you know, as, as I've played it throughout the years, I've come to appreciate it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I, I think that it's a solid game on its own right. And I think given the time frame that it came out, it was kind of forward in what it was trying to do as far as, you know, kind of having a, a non-linearity to it where it wasn't exactly a path from, you know, the beginning to the boss, you know, just in a straight line by any means, but you had to actually kind of figure it out and go into different buildings and down manholes and stuff like that to kind of figure out what's in here, where's the boss and things like that. And there were so many different sub bosses and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And it could have been really frustrating too, as a kid, when you're, you know, the, <laughs> they're, uh, they're not very nice to you, I guess is the easiest way to put this. And there are several no. manholes where you go down and pop back up and realize that you just, you know, backtracked on yourself. Right. Um, 
And unfortunately, in a game like this, where you need every resource you can get, taking uh, unnecessary detours and losing a little bit of health along the way is just, I mean, it's going to be disastrous. Right. But I will say, um, looking back through like some of the like Nintendo Power at the time and the NES Game Atlas that came later on, um, you know, a lot of those, there was a lot of help out there for this game as far as, um, you know, the, here's maps of the stages, here's the route to go um, through the airport level and things like that. So I think having those resources at the time really kind of helped when I was playing the game because, um, yeah, you could kind of go off on your own and explore stuff, but. Um, I think this was for 1989. I think this is kind of a big deal as far as the um, the levels and the layout and stuff like that. Because you just look at some of the pages in Nintendo Power, and you think there's a lot of screens in this game, and there's a lot of you know a lot of big levels. So yeah, yeah, it's funny too how you know significant Nintendo Power was to like my childhood because you know I was a collector from well. As a, a, shortly around the time that maybe the Super NES was starting to come out was when I first got my subscription. But mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, picked up several of the other ones from the grocery store or whatever, and you know, slowly yeah. picked up the back issues. But uh, it, it's funny how like significant the Nintendo Power was because as a kid, I never was able to get past stage three of this game. Okay. And sure. but. You know, through reading the you know game atlas cover to cover, through reading the Nintendo Powers, all the other stuff, like I had seen the screenshot of the giant mouser, I had seen the screenshot of the Technodrome and a Shredder, and so for my entire life, that's the only image I've ever seen of this, you know, mm. of these bosses was the one in the magazine. So it's, it's it was funny, like I I've had this kind of like you know childhood giddiness as I'm sitting there and you know playing this game now as a 35 year old adult and getting to the giant mouser for the first time and thinking like, Oh my God, it's finally happening. Like it was this you know, weird feeling. It was the same thing I felt like getting to Bowser for the first time in super Mario brothers when I was, uh-huh. you know, God knows how young. And it's, it's just weird that like, that's always just been in my head. And those little tiny little thumbnail screenshots from Nintendo power was all I ever knew of these bosses. So it's yeah. like, I, I peeked in the window, but I'd never been there. <laughs> you know, and it, it's interesting how you kind of describe that because I think that's a um, something that you know, it's us kind of Gen Xers and, and people that grew up with the NES. Um, I don't think that's something that you know younger gamers can really relate to now. I mean, considering the ubiquity of YouTube, I mean, you can just get on and, and watch somebody play through this in twenty minutes, or you can you know watch the bosses or stuff like that. But you're absolutely right. Growing up. Um, looking at magazines and screenshots, you know, that was kind of all we had for a little while. And it's like, you had to let your imagination kind of run wild and kind of say, well, what, what else is in this game? I mean, what haven't I seen right now? You know, there's not really much mystery because you could just get on and just, Oh, I want to see the ending. So I'll just watch somebody beat it. But right. Right. Yeah. And for me, I think um, subscribing to like Nintendo power and stuff like that, even though I didn't have a lot of, didn't get a lot of games growing up, but you know, I'd rent a lot of them. It was nice having a stack of Nintendo powers, basically in case I rented something, then it's like, Oh, hold on. I have, you know, here's the issue that has the guide and the walkthrough in it. Kind of follow that uh, along. Yeah. Not that this is the Nintendo power cast, but one of the things that made that so great was just that they didn't just spell out. Here's every detail of how to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of the information, you know, no offense to them, but was incorrect. Um, yeah. and they would also intentionally give very vague hints that just, just like, it gets you close, but you know, you've got to figure out the rest. And, yeah. you know, so I, I remember a lot of the issues, like they'd show all of the maps up until like the last stage. And then it was just mm-hmm. kind of this blurry picture. And it's like, now you figure it out from here. The so it's up to you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it, it, it was a good way to give you a little bit of a hint and a nudge, you know, just to kind of get you on the right direction, but it's not just going to spell out how to win. Um, right. What's so. even, I mean, it, it, let's be real with this game on the last level, no matter what help anybody gives you, I mean, you just have to muscle through and, and do it yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, you can look at a map all you want, but that doesn't mean a damn thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can safely say I was not prepared for um, stage six when I got there the other day. <laughs> Nobody is. And it, even if you continue, it just makes it worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Life. It's it's, oh. it's it's an unfortunate thing that, you know, 
like I know that there this game does have the Konami code that you can use and it gets you four continues instead of two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But oh, what's the point? Because yeah, if you're at stage six and you, I mean, hell, if you die and lose one turtle, it sends you right or you know, all the way back to the beginning of the stage. Mm-hmm. Which okay, if you're now at the beginning of the stage with three turtles, I mean, come on, and you know, then you lose yeah. another one. Like it's just. It's I, I hate to say it, but you almost might as well reset at that point. And Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. if you do get to continue, then it's like, okay, yeah, you're at the beginning of the stage, everybody's at full health, but you got no items, like you're mm-hmm. you're kind of screwed. But well, and maybe a little bit, but in, in my playthroughs this week, getting through the last level, I was at least able to kind of map things out, I guess, as far as enemies and things like that. But uh yeah. you know, still without without a good amount of special weapons, uh, it's incredibly difficult. There's two full pizzas and one Kai scroll in the stage, which will get you somewhere, but it doesn't. I, I don't know that the 20 Kai's that you get from that one item is enough to get through that no. last little yellow hallway. Well, and you can you can totally miss one of the pizzas too if you don't take the right route. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And then they just taunt you because it's like you can see it up there. You can see it. <laughs> yep. Like, look, you missed it. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I. <laughs> It's funny to say, and I have a feeling I'm going to say this on almost like every episode we do, but like this really is one of my favorite games, and yeah, yeah. I didn't didn't quite realize it. You know, I I didn't realize how much I loved it until these last couple of weeks because, like I said, it's always been in the back of my head. I've always enjoyed playing it, and there was always something that drew me to it, although I could never put my finger on what. But mm-hmm. now, having played through it now, it's like. I fully expected that when I beat it, I was just going to be like, okay, finally I can hang my hat up and say, this is done. And I never have to play this again. But mm-hmm. instead what I did was I, you know, took a break, grabbed a beer and then was like, I'm going to go play it again. And I already turned it back on. And it's just the kind of thing that, that, that fun challenge is there uh-huh. that just makes me want to keep doing this over and over and over again. It's, it's not an accomplishment that, okay, now I did it. I can, walk away it's like now that i did it i want to do it more yeah yeah i'll agree with you there because um I, this is out of the the series of turtle games on the nes as far as the three i guess well the three and then tournament fighters this is probably my favorite one out of all of them and that's just because i and i liked the arcade game you know especially in the arcades playing it it was awesome it's super good and turtles and times really good too on super nes but Turtles 2 and 3 on NES to me are so repetitive that, yeah, I'll play through them every now and then, but in those games it seems like, okay, you're just going through each level, you're using your special attack, or you're using a jump kick on the boss, and that's really it. Wash, rinse, and repeat. And that's seven, eight levels, or whatever. But in the first turtle that you're constantly having to sit on the edge of your seat for. And I think that's what makes it more enjoyable is um, there's a high degree of challenge. There's Things that are not always, not every level is going to be the same. You know, there's obviously the swimming level. There might be uh, magnets in the next level. There might be airplanes with bombs. Um, just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and not to mention the uh, the soundtrack. I think it's just absolutely phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. It's music that you've never heard. Like, it's not in the cartoon anywhere. It's not even a riff of, you know, the themes you know. But I think it's one of the best, you know, opening themes ever. It's it's, it's my phone ringtone. Um, nice. So, it's, um, yeah, no, Konami, Konami slash Ultra Music was the shit back in the day. I mean, it, it really was. Like, no matter what game that you heard of Konami's, you could pick out that that was their game just based on the sound. Whether it be, you know, this game or Castlevania or uh, they just they all have that. There's like a percussion background beat. There's um, there's good melodies and rhythms, and they're just I don't know. There's something about their their sound teams that they were just on point for a lot of their games. Yep, I would agree. Um, I'm just looking up here the uh, composer of it with June Funahashi, um, mm-hmm. trying to see like some of the other things that he's known for. He did a uh, Bayou Billy, which was not a well known game, but um, I, I owned the card. Well known because it was frustrating. <laughs> it was fun, you know, just because you could um, switch between the zapper. There was a driving stage, and then uh-huh. there was a you know side scroller. But um, not to get into the BioBilly cast, but um, I do have to say that that's one of the examples of games that were made incredibly difficult for the U.S. release because of the rental market. Because if you've ever played the Famicom version, Mad City, uh, most enemies die in like two or three hits or something like that. So it's actually enjoyable. 
but you play the NES one and like, but the first couple enemies take like 10 or 11 hits to kill. Ridiculous. Hmm. So, yeah, you'll definitely know some of his music. And, and if you listen to the soundtrack, you can hear the, um, the Castlevania tones all mm-hmm. over it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he worked on Castlevania three. He worked on, um, Contra for force for the NES. So it's, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to know a lot of this music, but, uh, yeah, it's very iconic. Mm. So, okay. Um, well, what else should we talk about? I know there were different ports of the game. Uh, I'm not familiar with any of those. Have you played any of the other? No, um, I, I I remember seeing ads for the DOS version in like video games and computer entertainment, other magazines and stuff like that. Uh, but it wasn't wasn't one I ever really sought out. Uh, the NES version was always kind of the definitive one t- for me. Mm-hmm. But if you guys checked our Twitter this week, you probably saw that uh, I did sort of discover in my research that there is uh, in the DOS version, it's basically unbeatable because when they translated it over and they changed the graphics and everything, it's in the um, third stage, I think it is, where there's an impossible jump because they made the ceiling too low and they widened the gap too far. Yep. Which I thought was pretty funny. So yeah. um, I could only imagine somebody getting this game as a kid, you know, installing it on their computer and not being able to figure out how they could get past that part. Well, and it's funny and that... that- because you couldn't trade the game in, you couldn't resell it. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's funny, because that's part of why I probably never got past stage three as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. so some of the jumps, like I was playing the NES version, but like some of the jumps on the rooftop are really difficult. And I remember reading in Nintendo Power that it said, you know, if you, you got to find the rope, and the rope allows you to get, you know, from rooftop to rooftop. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I, I wandered around the buildings until I finally found the rope got up on the roof and found one of those jumps that I could never quite make as a kid. You know, my coordination just wasn't good enough. And so I'm like, all right, I got to use the rope. And I remember just trying to play over and over and figure out like, how do I use this damn rope? And, (laughs) you know, could never figure it out. Didn't realize that the rope is used somewhere else. And I was just convinced that there was a button that I wasn't hitting right or something I was doing wrong or my game was busted and it wouldn't let me get over this rooftop jump because it wouldn't let me use the rope. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I remember you talking to yeah. me about that. And I was just, that's one of the things, again, that I like about doing the show is because, you know, having played these games so much as we have certain memories and how they play and, and how they operate. And for me, it's interesting for me to hear you say that because that never really even occurred to me because at that point, when you have the ropes, you just kind of walk up to the edge and it just automatically kicks out. Mm-hmm. So, and the fact that you also, you get ropes just around, um, what is it right? When you're getting the scrolls and stuff like that in that yeah. building. So I don't know. I, that's, I always like seeing or hearing different versions of that, I guess. So it's interesting that, you know, um, you kind of had that issue, but they don't really even tell you how to use the rope. So you don't really know until you actually kind of walk up to it. No. And I mean, all of stage three, to be perfectly honest, is a very complicated and difficult level. Um, there's a ton going on. And for a, you know, eight year old kid playing this, like it's, it's really daunting um, mm-hmm. because you, I mean, you start off, you're in the city streets. So you've got that overhead view, but the party wagons right next to you. So it's like, okay, I can drive around. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also buildings and sewers, so you have to get out of the party wagon to get into those. Um, as you try to drive around, there's these barricades that you can't get past. There's no explanation as to how to do it. I think April gives you a little bit of a hint in the um, uh, pause screen, but not really definitive. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you you find this rope, but it's like, well, what the hell do I do with that? And I, again, I think April pops in with a tiny little hint, like use it to get across the buildings, but right. it doesn't tell wow. you much. And even the instruction book, I'm flipping through it right now, and it does say there's anti-foot clan missiles that are perfect for demolishing enemy barricades in level three, and the rope Mm -hmm. used in levels three and four to leap from building to building. But that's it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So considering you have... To trigger this would be, you know... Right, exactly. And considering like all of the other little items that look just like that, you can select... But these, like, they're sitting in your inventory. You can see them on the screen, but you can't select them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just a it's a complicated level that has multiple different formats of play. And it's, it, it, it's not really that intuitive. So, yeah, as a kid, it's like, this is a little overwhelming. And uh, so, yeah, and I never... You bring that up, too, because, you know, from a design standpoint, I think that's kind of a, a flaw of the game where 
um, it's not really implied how you use it. You just, um, it just triggers automatically. I guess for me though, I, since I never really had an issue with it, I just would just walk up to the edge of the building and it would just deploy. But um, there's no real clue as to how it operates. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, and it's super obvious once you've done it or seen it done. Right. But until then, you're just kind of left wondering, like yeah. I have been for 25 years. <laughs> huh. I don't know. Maybe it's just new generations of people coming to this and figuring out, um, you know, like, how does this work or that? I don't know. It reminds me of uh, a couple years ago on uh, the Wii U when Super Metroid got released and somebody posted on Miiverse, um, why can't Metroid crawl? Because uh, apparently they thought that Samus's name was Metroid, and then they apparently thought that <laughs> you crawl instead of using the ball to roll through things. So, kind of interesting. Again, from a design standpoint, it's kind of kind of interesting how those things operate, and especially you know how the game sort of expects you to try things out or whatever. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, the, the very the very first video game I ever played was Metroid. Uh, it really? was one of those like multi-game kiosks. I think at Sears. And mm-hmm. they basically just had an NES with like 30 games pre-programmed into a, a chip or something. And you could select the game you wanted to play. I selected Metroid just because it, I don't know, it looked kind of weird and cool. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever held a Nintendo controller. And oh. I could not get out of the first room because I couldn't figure out how to open the damn door. <laughs> That's funny. I was trying to roll under it. I was trying to jump over it. I didn't even think, like, why would you shoot a door? Like, the door didn't do anything wrong to me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, kind of interesting. So, hmm. I don't know. Um, All right. What's, uh, going back to Turtles here, um, were there any particular, besides Stage 6, I mean, were there any other stages that stick out in your mind as being um, memorable or extremely difficult at all? I mean, everybody obviously says, oh, the swimming level is the hardest one, but... Um, I, never yeah, had an issue I, think, with that I think, I mean, in terms of difficulty, the ones that stand out are the even levels, the even numbered levels. Um, okay. Number two is challenging just because you do have to swim. And it's it's difficult to avoid all of the things, like oh, the, the, ti- yeah. the timing of getting through the laser or the electric beams. Um, you've got to be very precise to get through the weeds that electrocute you. And like, yeah, if your trigger finger isn't quite fast enough, the seaweed can grab you. So there, there's just a lot that can go wrong. Um, and if you don't know exactly where all eight bombs are, it's very possible to run out of time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think stage two is a big hurdle for a lot of players, especially kids, yeah. um, which is why I think that, you know, any story that I've ever heard of this game is like, everybody knows stage one, everybody knows stage two. Mm. That's pretty much where the memories end. Um, yeah. I wonder and then if I th- part of that is in, in fact that, you know, people didn't have maybe somebody didn't have a subscription in Nintendo Power then, for instance, because they had the map in there where the bombs were and, and everything like that. So you could kind of map out your route, um, you know, to kind of maximize it, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's it just takes a lot of coordination to kind of get it just right, mm-hmm. too. And, and I mean, if you're not that great at the game and you, you know, ended stage one with, you know, half health, then mm-hmm. it only takes a couple of hits from the electricity and you just lost a turtle um yeah so uh i think stage four is really difficult too just because it's very big and there are Mm -hmm. lots of different sewers that you have to go through and none of them are like overly difficult but there's some tricky jumps there's a lot of spikes and it's very easy if you don't pay attention to be to end up going the wrong way Um, right so talking about the airport right correct yes yeah okay so i think that can be tricky for that regard um Oh yeah, I think that's probably one of the trickiest levels because then you get towards the uh, the end of it, and then you get those. Um, uh, I I always call them like the the Mega Man two style, like the um, Quick Man style uh, section where the walls are closing in on you. Oh you yeah, drop down like one, two, three, like four different uh, drops basically, where you have to like run and then let go of the control pad right as you're hovering over, you know, the gap, so you can just fall through. But you have to do that what twice I think, right? Because there's there's, there's three of them. Screen, there's one screen that has a pizza and nothing else, or just a slice. And then the second screen, the walls start closing in. You get past that, and there's another one that does that too. So, right. uh, you know, much like Mega Man 2, I think it requires a lot of practice to kind yes. of exactly... You can't make a mistake in that part at all. I mean, you have, to, you have to just drop down and just do it. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no room for error, and it, it's... No. 
it's incredibly frustrating if you miss because it's like yeah. that's another one of those instant kills and i think that's where mm-hmm. a lot of people you know really hate on this game because you yeah. know the the idea of maybe unfairness because there are multiple things that just lead to instant death sure um that's what i'm saying this is probably one of the most difficult nes games that i am aware of as far as just the the extreme level of difficulty because you know, not only does it require a ton of practice and patience, but let's say, for instance, if you lose a turtle, there's only a certain number of places that you can actually recover that turtle at. And you might not even know about them. You might even pass by those completely. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that the even numbered stages are the difficult ones. I think that they're all a lot of fun. Um, I, I love that each stage has its own very unique flavor. Um yeah. I don't feel like it's just kind of recycling the same backgrounds or the same enemies. Like it's, it's a, everything feels fresh and feels very different and it's always a new challenge. Um, so yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that about it. Yeah. And I think that's another, um, another point to the game though, as far as the, like you said, the, the sheer amount of variety as far as graphically and uh, gameplay wise for 1989, I think that that was, this was a, a big game for the the system because it had so much um, different stuff to it. It wasn't just the same levels copy and pasted. Right. Um, I was going to talk real quick just about, you know, since we always bring this up, differences between, you know, regional releases. Uh, there's really nothing that's significant between this and Japanese or European releases other than the title. Um, yeah. And that's mostly just from licensing. Um, I forget exactly what they call it in Japan and in Europe, but it's it's not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Heroes maybe in Europe. And I think with Europe was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Hero Turtles. That's right. Yeah, it was something like you know you couldn't say Ninja or something like that. Uh, some bizarre thing. Right, right when the cartoon came out, I think because I remember hearing a big big hubbub about that. Right. Yeah, and Japan had something similar where they're their title just basically came out to this. This game was the first thing that Japan had ever seen of the turtles. Um, they had had no release of action figures or cartoons or anything. I was pretty sure I read that this game was their first introduction to the turtles. Um, so like their name that, came. For some reason I had thought that turtles, what we got was turtles two came out as turtles one in Japan. Cause I thought they were flipped for some reason. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong on that. But, I don't know. I, I mean, take the internet for what it's worth. But <laughs> that's true, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that you know the gameplay of the different regions is identical. You're not going to get lucky and find that. Oh, if I get the Famicom version, then I get save points or you know anything fun like that. You're still stuck right. with the same challenge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also um, kind of speaking of not really differences, I guess. But um, you mentioned the Japanese version, which kind of made me think that um, interestingly enough. The Ninja Turtles game uses the same engine as a previous Japan-only Famicom game that Konami did called Getsu Fumiden, which um, I don't know if you played that one, but it's kind of it's it's like a mix of TMNT and Castlevania sort of combined. Okay. You have, yeah, I, I had never heard of this until you mentioned it mm-hmm. earlier this week. Yeah, it's really good. So it's kind of in the same vein as Turtles because you start off um, on a map, but it's more almost like more of like a Zelda two style map where you're kind of going from one point to the other. And then when you get to, like in this case, you get to like a shrine or something like that, it goes to a side-scrolling level. Um, Interestingly, then your character who swings a sword has the same sword arc as Leonardo does. Hmm. So it's basically the same style of attack. And then, yeah, so you go from the side-scrolling stages, you fight bosses, um, and then there's the overhead maps. But then also in that game, it's got like 3D 3D dungeons as well. But um, it's kind of interesting that they've, probably already had that engine done and decided, well, let's just make another game with it. That's probably where Turtles came from. But uh, Interesting. Yeah, I discovered Getsu Fumiden a couple years ago, and uh, at first I was like, wow, this looks and plays a lot like Turtles, and then doing some research on it, then discovered it was in fact, yeah, uh, the same engine. So. Hmm. Alrighty, well, anything else you want to talk about this before we do some tips and tricks on this one? Because I got a bunch. Oh, I bet you do. Um, The only other thing I I would say on this game is um, just from a technical standpoint, the sheer amount of slowdown and sprite flicker that occurs in this game for 1989, it's kind of obvious that it was sort of rushed out the door to probably to make, you know, Christmas. I think it came out around December or so. 
Um, so obviously there's there's some glitches and bugs here and there in this game, but uh, you know if you just kind of bear with it, it's it's not too bad. But you can obviously tell it was a rushed job. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I guess my final you know thought before we get into the tips is that you know don't write this one off. Uh, I know that a lot of people are very aware of it, and it's you know an infamous game. And I think mm-hmm. that mo- most people have probably played it, got frustrated with it, and said, "Ah, oh, this isn't you know a real turtles game, or this is just too difficult, or this isn't fun." And I mean, yeah, take it from me, like I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to these kind of games. I'll admit it, but mm-hmm. as we've said over and over here now, the the satisfaction and the the reward that you feel from actually you know accomplishing something in this is you know indescribable so it's very worthwhile it's um yeah just an incredibly good game and i you know Mm. glad to say that not only did i finally beat it but that i rediscovered it and am now going to put it in with a regular rotation because yeah yeah it's so i'll agree with you there because i think it's um especially in the last decade or so i think it's gotten a lot of it's kind of poor reputation probably from angry video game nerd but I don't think it's nearly as bad as, as people say. Yeah, it's frustrating, it's difficult, but like you said, it's it's one that is, if you're willing to put in the time and the effort and learn the game, um, it's incredibly satisfying when you do clear it because it's not quite completely random, but enemy patterns do change. There's, you know, you might have 99 scrolls and all of a sudden pick up a throwing star and that erases all your scrolls, so you have to kind of think on the fly, you know, how do you... How do you adapt to that? But I think if you're willing to put forth the effort, then uh, this is a game that you will keep coming back to and, uh, you know, really just enjoying. Maybe we should just start, you know, picking our themes based on what the Angry Video Game Nerd has uh, hated on, because this is now twice that we've taken a game that he's, you know, notoriously bashed and said, like, no, 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 it's phenomenal. (laughs) So I don't know. I I never watched much of it myself. I mean, I'm aware of the show, but uh, I don't know. I think it's just it's. I think it bears um, repeating that it's it's interesting when we talk about these kind of games that this wasn't really... I mean, at the time when these games came out, I mean, this is kind of all we had. So we had to kind of really play them and get good at them. And now I think it's so much easier to set a game down because, oh, it's really difficult. You know, I don't want to play this anymore. I have 10, 15, 20 other games in the backlog that I'll work on instead. And I think that's one of the reasons why yeah. we played these games a lot because, you know, we didn't have a lot of other games or you might've rented this, you know, on a Friday night and, you know, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, it's too hard. And then they're, you know, your mom or dad's like, well, I'm not going back to the video store. You know, we're, we're in for the night. So you were stuck with it. So I don't know, maybe right. it's, just, it's a different, you know, generational thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I'm sure is going to get brought up over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do some tips and tricks here. All right. Tips and tricks. Um, so the way I kind of broke this one down is I decided that the the best way to go about this is to just kind of break it up by stage, mm-hmm. give uh, a little bit of hint to kind of help get through each each stage because you need all the help that you can get. Um, yeah. We kind of talked about some overarching tips, you know, just in terms of being very selective with which turtle you use, things like that. But um, Let's go into some of the stage-specific tips to help you get through it, and maybe you can beat this game too. Uh, Stage one is actually pretty simple. Shouldn't give you too much difficulty. But the one thing that I can say is that most of the buildings and sewers you can completely skip. Um, They're just going to be designed to wear your turtles down, take some health, and um, they're just not necessary. So kind of map it out a little bit and think about what areas you actually need to go into and... uh, you know, avoid the rest. Uh, also, when you finally get to the end and face Rocksteady, this is a tip that I'm sure every person out there knows because it's just that infamous, but um, you can beat Rocksteady without actually taking any damage. Switch to Donatello, and if you jump up on top of the crates to the right-hand side of the screen, you can crouch down and stab downward with the bow and basically just keep hitting him on the top of the head, and he won't be able to get you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the most famous trick in nintendo history i don't know like that's one of those that i just think everybody knew oh yeah it's it's up there i mean as far as uh, you know uh notoriety because yeah and everyone sort of knew that that was the the thing to do right uh so for stage two i don't really have much other than like i said be 
selective with your turtles. When I jump in the water, I always immediately switch to either Raphael or Michelangelo because, as we've said, in combat, they're the least useful. Mm-hmm. And so they're probably at full health at this point because you didn't use them in stage one. Yeah. And so they're going to be able to take the most hits from the electric uh, weeds and uh, beams. And, mm-hmm. you know, if by chance they happen to get caught in the seaweed, well, you're not really out anything too significant. So yeah. use, use them to get beat up during this stage. Yeah, I would say the, the biggest tip I could give for stage two would be to just, you know, look at a map of the level and kind of plan out your route so you're not doubling back too much. Because um, if you if you do everything right, you should be able to clear the final bomb with about 30, 35 seconds left on the clock. Yeah, if and there are there are a couple... Right, exactly. Uh, and there are also a couple multiple routes that you can take, mm-hmm. some of which are actually easier. So if you... Like, I think it, there might be a fork, and on one direction, you've got to swim through two bolts, but on the other one, you only have to swim through one. So right. pick your routes, you know, in, you know, wisely and avoid as much obstacle as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, stage three, one of the most important things that you can do in this stage is collect 99 of the Kai Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after you begin, there's a building that's uh, got your rockets. You need those to blow up some barricades. After you go through your first two barricades, you're going to find that there's two buildings right next to each other. If you go in the left building, you can kind of work your way down into the sewers at the basement of the building. Down there in the basement, you're going to find a, a whole pizza, and that tells you that you're on the right track. Um, continue through the sewers and come up through the basement of the build of the next building adjacent, and you're going to find that Kai scroll. Um, each time you pick that up, it gives you 20. Uh, keep now. Once you pick that up deselect it so you don't accidentally use it, go back down into the sewers and jump into the water. Um, mm-hmm. You won't die. You won't take any damage. It'll just put you right back outside of the building. Go back in the left building and keep doing this over and over and over again until you have 99 for all four turtles. Um, the nice thing is if you start taking damage as you're doing this, no big deal. There's that pizza on the way. Um, <clears throat> also, as you're going... It's, uh, if I can just interrupt you for a second here. Um, yep. Is that how you were doing it? Was going through the left building? Yep. The one on the left and going up through the sewer first? Right. Okay. I've, I that's found that if you do you go the other way? I've always done it. I've always done it the other way. I've always gone through the right building first, kill the enemies, gone up, and then down into the sewer, get the uh, pizza, and then um, we'll get the scroll, and then I'd get the pizza, and then just drop in the water and wash myself out to the building, and then repeat it that way. I found if you fall I tr- the water. You, you won't. You don't take damage. You just get pushed out to the beginning of the uh, building. Right. Yeah. I tried both sides, and from coming in from both buildings, I found that there's a couple. Like as we said earlier, like that there's random enemies. It's either going to be the set with the, uh-huh. you know, the little bugs and the robots, or it's the the fire guys and the eyeballs. But depending on which set of enemies it is, uh, right? Uh, yeah, it's the turtle wagon. Um, <laughs> Uh, depending on which set of enemies are in the building, if you come in from the right, there's a better chance that there's a couple of them that's that are very difficult to avoid. Uh, coming mm-hmm. in from the left, it's much easier to just kind of get a repetitive pattern, yeah. and you can t- take very little damage coming that way. Yeah, I guess um, I never really thought of that because I always use Donatello and go through the right side first and just obliterate everything. Yeah, so play with it. You know, see which way works better for you. Uh, the good news is you're going to get a lot of repetition in practice, so you're going to figure out you know the the patterns of the enemies. But uh, mm-hmm. the more the moral of the story is make sure you have 99 scrolls for every turtle. Um, keep getting that pizza to keep their health up. Don't mm-hmm. forget to switch. And at this point forward, uh, pay very close attention to what the enemies drop because the last yeah. thing you want to do is pick up a shuriken or a boomerang after you get some scrolls. Right. Which happens. It does. The game randomly tends to drop power-ups, so you just have to be careful as you're killing something and you're not just immediately walking over them until you're for sure that nothing has popped up. Right. Um, try not to be wasteful with the scrolls once you get them because they're incredibly powerful, but you're going to need them later in the game. Um, the first time that I would say you should really pull them out is once you get to the boss of stage three, mm. if you're having trouble getting through him, that's fine. Uh, go ahead and use a couple of them. He does have two forms, so don't get overconfident. Um, Are you talking the about one, the mecha turtle? Yes. Yeah. And the one thing that I can say too, is don't, 
don't be afraid of taking too much damage because even if all of your turtles are you know almost one hit away from dead make sure they don't die but right at the beginning of stage four there's a whole pizza immediately in the first building so you can get all your health back so right. do what you do what you got to do to take him out but just don't let a turtle die hmm. um so then yeah in stage four pick up that pizza get your health back up to full you should be you know full strength going on from this point forward um as you go through stage four like we said it's really difficult because it's very easy to get lost uh when you go down in a sewer pay very close attention to the little number and arrow mm -hmm. that's printed on the wall mm -hmm. the, the number is going to tell you which sewer you're in and the arrow tells you which direction you're headed um if you pop down into a sewer and the arrow is pointing right back at you that means that you're about to go in the wrong direction so head back out find a different manhole yep. um there's a lot of tough jumps through here that involve you know magnets and spikes things like that switch to raf or mike before you make any of those jumps just so you don't take mm -hmm. more damage than you need to for your uh fighters mm -hmm. um and the last thing on this stage is at the very end when you get to the giant mouser it, he's also incredibly easy to beat if you just know where to stand you can beat him without taking any damage um he basically goes through two different cycles either one where his mouth is closed and you can't damage him at all and he shoots little laser beams out of his eyes if you stand directly in the center between uh his legs the laser will completely miss you then just step off to the side wait for him to open his mouth jump up and stab upward with donatello and you can hit him um it's really pretty easy to beat him without taking any damage at all oh yeah that's probably the easiest boss in the game because you basically just stand right under him and never take a hit and actually, I don't even think you have to jump because you can hit him with Donatello and uh, still do damage to him. So From the ground, can you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, okay, then on stage five, this is actually a really easy stage if you know what you're doing. Um, most of the level can be avoided completely. Um, mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to make your way down to the southwest corner, and there's the building that you need to, or the sewer that you need to go into to fight the Technodrome. But on your way there, there's a building that's pretty much in the dead center of the map. You want to go in there because there's two things here that are important. One, you can rescue one of your turtles. And two, there's a whole pizza in there that'll allow you to restore your health, uh, get back up to full strength before you go take on the Technodrome, um, which you'll probably need. So any other buildings or manholes in the level, just go ahead and avoid them. There's nothing worthwhile in them. Actually, let me uh, let me interrupt you again for a second on this. So um, I'm going to agree with you there because it's always been in the, the southwest corner um, where I've always found the Tectrodrome, except for the couple of playthroughs I did today, it was not there. And Are you kidding? No, no, I never knew this before, but I think it has something to do because on one of the playthroughs, I got there and I was missing a turtle. So I had to go okay. into the building. I had to rescue a turtle. Yeah. And then after I did that, I went to the Southwest one, went in the door and it was empty. I mean, it was just, you know, the blank room. So really? I really... Yeah, I never knew this. So I think that it's actually, it depends on if you either, if you go into that building and get the turtle, if you start without all four of them, or if you go up into the Northwest one to try to get weapons and scrolls and stuff, I think that it actually moves. So wow. I'd never seen okay. that before in, you know, um, when did this game come out? 89. So like, that's something I just discovered today, having played this game over you know, a period of, of 20 some years. So I don't know. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I got there. It wasn't there. So I had to go. Um, I think I checked the center one. It wasn't in the center one. It was all the way up in the um, northeast corner. Huh. Very bizarre. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, every time I've been to this stage, I just kind of go to that middle building, get the turtle, the pizza, and then head southwest. And yeah, I've never even bothered exploring some of the others. You just played through today and it wasn't there. So hmm. I don't know. Yeah, the first time I got to this stage, I kind of explored all the buildings just because I didn't know what to see, but I mm -hmm. haven't since. And the Technodrome's always been in the southwest. So, yeah. huh. there well, there you go. Some, some kind of condition that triggers it to move to a different location if you start that level with, you know, not all four turtles or something. I don't know. Hmm. I'll have to look, research that more. Or listeners, if you know anything right. about that, write in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last one I've got is for stage six. Um, there's not a whole lot I can say other than, you know, number one, just go slow. Um, take your time. Things will jump out at you. There's things that take, you know, multiple hits, even with Donatello. Um, mm -hmm. You just want to be incredibly cautious and incredibly uh, thorough 
and don't get too hasty. Don't go too fast because that's when yeah. you're going to get into trouble. Um, also, don't be guys crouch. Yeah, well, as you're going through that really skinny tunnel at the very end, you can duck and they just kind of go away. Um, well, even in the beginning too, because like we were saying with the random enemies, there's sometimes there's chances that you'll get the jetpack guys right at the very beginning of stage six. Yes, and they're every with everything in that level is doing double damage to you. So you take like what two or three shots from them, you're basically dead. So. Right. But yeah, I found um, if you crouch at first, the shot goes over you, and then if you run, then the next shot goes diagonal where you were. So it's you know you can kind of avoid them that way. I wouldn't stick once you them. once you get used to where they're going to show up. Um, I found that if you're if you kind of jump like before they've shown up on the screen, if you're in in the air and you go ahead and throw scrolls, a lot of times that causes them to back off the screen too. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah, if you have your scrolls at that point, you. Uh, it, Assuming you are still here with all your scrolls, don't be afraid to use them. Mm. Um, especially considering once you have your scrolls, all of your turtles are about the same now. Yeah. Um, using your regular weapons is kind of useless here because everything's going to take multiple hits. Mm. Um, so you're better off just using the scrolls. Um, once you get to Shredder, uh, I think Donatello's bow is actually more useful than the scrolls. So just yeah. d- don't be afraid to waste them. Um, but yeah, just that's, that's why... That- Shredder trapped in. So yeah, if you have Donatello, it's easier to kind of trap him that way. Right. And this is why you spent that, you know, 45 minutes getting all of those scrolls is so that you can just go to town in this stage. Um, Cause yeah. And so all of the turtles are the same. So just be very smart about who you use when save Donatello for the last, just so that you have him against Shredder, but otherwise play with one until you're, you know, one hit away from dying, switch to the next one and just keep going until you just kind of, get yourself all the way through the stage. Um, it's a rough go. Keep an eye on your health because uh, if you do lose a turtle, you have to start over completely. And yeah. uh, there's nothing more frustrating in the game. <laughs> and there's only two pizzas in the level, one of which you can miss. Yep. So you don't take the right path. Yeah. That is, yeah. Stage six is probably one of the, the truest tests of, uh, of a retro gamer as far as the, the difficulty is concerned in this in this level. I mean, if, if you can beat this on original hardware without save states, then um, congratulations, because holy shit, is this game tough at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, patience. Uh, patience will pay off uh, learning the patterns. I mean, it's, it's like I said, I don't know how many times I have to say it. It's just, it's very rewarding, but it's going to, yeah. yeah. The, the reward is worthwhile because it takes a lot of dedication and patience to, to get there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Oh yeah. So, and I mean, all in all, it takes a little bit of time to get through too. I would say that mm-hmm. when you spend the time getting all those scrolls, I think you're looking at about a two and a half, three hour total play time. Which really isn't terrible though. I mean, considering once you get really good at the game, you can breeze through, like I said, I, I ended up kind of breezing through like the first five levels and then you get to six and then things kind of slow down. But yeah, you figure as far as time commitment wise, it's really not that bad. You're expecting that it's going to be like, oh, it's going to take forever to farm all these scrolls, but no, not really. It's pretty quick. Yeah, depends on how many times you slip and fall in the water. Hours, you're still in the uh, you're still in the prologue area in most modern games, so this is nothing. True. Clear through the entire game in two to three hours. Yeah, yeah, it's just not going to be one of those lunchtime playthroughs like uh, no. a lot of the others. <laughs> All right, so hopefully we did some justice here to Ninja Turtles, um, a classic, I would say for sure. Yeah, uh, even if you don't love it, I would hazard a guess that anybody listening to the show is very familiar with it. So, uh, oh, yeah. for good or bad, it's a game you know, and I say it's a game that's worth a uh, second look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and I, you know, we'd love to hear your kind of your thoughts on it too. I mean, if you guys have any. Um, any specific memories of playing the game or um, anything that frustrated you? I mean, everybody is probably, everyone that had an NES growing up has probably played this game more than likely. So um, I said, we always kind of enjoy hearing, you know, your stories and, and what your experiences were with the game. So, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you just need to vent, like, that's fine. We'll, we'll listen. <laughs> yep. The TMNT confessional. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. So, any parting thoughts with this, or um, kind of um, said what we need to say here? Yeah, I think I think I've pretty much said you know how I feel about it, and I, I still enjoy it, and it's one that I come back to quite a bit. So, I mean, I think if you're willing to accept that um, that there is a high degree of challenge here, um, I think it's going to be 
something that uh, you're going to feel really accomplished once you actually do clear it. So stick yeah. with it. Go p- go pick up the soundtrack. It's amazing. It'll get stuck uh-huh. in your head, but in that good way. Um, and oh, and I didn't even mention. I think one of my favorite things about this game is the sound that it makes when you kill an enemy is mm-hmm. just like the most satisfying sound ever. I don't know uh-huh. what it is about that, but it just it just hits me in all the right places. Okay. <laughs> Never thought about it before, but okay. All right. Before we ramble too much more, why don't you wrap us up here? Okay. Well, um, of course, you can find us on Twitter at Duck Graveyard. Uh, follow us on there. We've got a Facebook page, um, Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, email us at Graveyard Duck Podcast at gmail.com. You know, we'd love to hear from you guys just any, um, any retro gaming memories that you have uh, about the games that we talk about. So. Uh, that's why we enjoy doing the show or show suggestions absolutely yeah yeah definitely so i I always love discovering new games especially new old games or new to me i guess right but yeah um anything else you can think of nope i think that covers it all right well for uh graveyard duck podcast uh this is wes i'm scott and please remember to hold reset as you turn the power off to avoid loss of data game over